Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. James chapter 4. It reads, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Our speaker today I've known since he was a teen. He's younger than I, and I think he just stayed younger than I. That's just a, a natural thing. But Conrad and his family are in fellowship at the Land of Lakes Bible Chapel, and he's one of the overseers there. Where I know it's hard for any time to get someone like that to leave because of the need there at the meeting, but we were happy that he was willing to come over this week and minister to us. So we're going to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over to our brother Conrad Campbell. Morning, everyone. Thank you for those hymns, Billy. Um, we're getting some new hymn books at Land Lakes, and we don't have, um, right now in our current hymn book, we don't have all three of those. Um, we do in a separate course book, we have The Love of God. But um, two of those I know very well. The first one I didn't even know. But um, the second two, was, <laughs> well, that's good. We're both learning. But, um, you know, The Love of God is it's a beautiful hymn, and I think it's so beautiful because it does such a good job of taking um, a concept which is and putting it into words, right, and making a picture, a word picture about it, right, writing of the love of God. If you have, had the opportunity, the chance to write about it, it would, you couldn't contain, the books of the world couldn't contain it, right? The sky couldn't contain it. What a beautiful picture. And I was thinking of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, 5.14, it says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because thus we judge that if one died for all, then we are all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so the point is, 
is, is the love of God should touch our hearts in such a way, it's so compelling that it should cause us to live a certain way, right? That's the contrast between what we have in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. We had the law, right? They're supposed to follow the law, and, and it was difficult. It was a taskmaster, a difficult master, that they couldn't, they couldn't accomplish what they needed to because they would fall short because that's what the law did, right? It exposed man's sinfulness. But then we have the Lord Jesus coming and superseding. He completed, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And then he said, he established a new law. And that's actually what we're going to be looking at in the book of James. Is He says, the law is contained in this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, with that, we, we follow the Lord and we do the things that he would want us to do. We love him, be, we, we, um, be, we follow his commandments because, and obey him because he loves us, right? He's shown us love. That's what a love relationship does, right? You, you do things not out of obligation so much as because you desire to, because you desire to show love. And that's what Christianity is about, right? It's relationship with a person, that person being the Lord Jesus. So kind of taking that and going to James, when we go to the book of James and... Thank you, Nathaniel, for reading that. We're going to be in James chapter 4. And James um, speaks about the law in, in a few different ways. And uh, we'll be looking at that in a minute. But sometimes people want to get hung up in the book of James thinking that um, there's something to add to our salvation and something needed, necessary to add to our salvation, and that being works. And I think people get that backwards sometimes, right? It's not so much that our salvation needs something added to it, to help accomplish our salvation or a second stage of salvation. It's that good works flow naturally out of salvation. The fact that the Lord Jesus, he is, he is uh, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, right? Um, the one who loved me, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That the, the life that we live is an outpouring of good works that's naturally produced as a result of our salvation. And um, that's what we should do. And then, I think our brother Buck read it this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. One of the things we ought to do is to exhort one another, and I think the word is provoke one another to love and good works. Um, sometimes we just provoke one another, right? <laughs> it's not. It's to exhort one another, push one another, encourage one another to do for, for love and for good works. And that should be the natural outgrowth of a believer. Um, some of you know, um, Billy's been to my house. I have a bunch of uh, tropical fruit plants in my backyard. And I have banana trees. I have uh, some passion fruit. I got mangoes. Mangoes are the biggest one I have. And right now, this time of year, they're putting out buds. They're putting out buds. They're getting ready to flower. Each one of those trees, um, I have several of them. I have probably 13, I think 13 trees in different varieties. But they all produce fruit in accordance with the type of tree that it is, right? And so this, this fruit produces this. This tree produces this kind of fruit. It's called a carry mango, and it produces a carry fruit. But it's a mango tree and produces mangoes. And if it produced coconuts, we wouldn't call it a mango tree. It's only natural that a mango tree produces mangoes, right? And so it's only natural for Christians to produce good works in their life as part of natural, normal growth. That's how it works. Um, I was actually speaking with a brother yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about works, good works, and we were talking about salvation, and salvation apart from good works. But, um, and, and we were talking, he, this particular brother, he has family that they're Roman Catholic, right? And so Roman Catholic dogma would teach that, yes, there's salvation in the Lord Jesus, but then you also have to do good works, and there's, 
and, and otherwise you wind up in purgatory and, and things like that. And it's we don't preach a salva salvation by works. There's works as a part of that natural sanctification that when we are we see the Lord Jesus, we'll be like Him, and the Lord and God will make us like Him. And we are on a journey, like Paul talks about, like a race being run, right? And finishing the race and finishing the course. There's a there's a progression there, but we're saved and on our way to heaven when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Him, He taking the part that we thought about this morning, dying for our sins, paying the penalty, that price is paid. It's no more, there's no other, no other payment that needs to be made. And, but then there's still the fact that in our daily sanctification, in being made more like the Lord Jesus, we should naturally grow. And so the book of James, um, I think, talks about that. And it talks about very specific things, and we're going to look at some of those at the end of chapter 4, that things in our lives that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. I can remember... I had a, uh, a sixth grade teacher, and I'm sure maybe some of you um, can look back and remember in your, in your upbringing, um, you had people in your lives that got placed in your lives for specific reasons. And I had a sixth grade teacher, and um, I remember at the time, I didn't like her. I didn't like my teacher. I didn't appreciate the teacher. You know, she's definitely getting on my case, and it's really probably what I needed to hear at the time. And it was good and healthy for me. And so um, while we may not appreciate at the time um, I think uh, Paul writes about it. it's like no, don't don't say of the Lord his chastening. Don't 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 not appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I certainly didn't appreciate it at the time. But when we look at the book of James, it's like a teacher telling us there's things in our lives that maybe we need to examine, right? When it comes to how we conduct ourselves, our good works, and then also acknowledging the fact that the Lord Jesus, that that God in our lives, that we should say things, do things in His will, as our brother Billy mentioned. So let's look at the end of chapter. James chapter 4. And I think Lanny told me that I have until 1230. Is that what I heard right, brother? Something like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I think I heard right. I don't need hearing aids yet. All right, James chapter 4. Um, let's start with verse number 10. We're just going to look at the end of the chapter. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall live you up, lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother judges his brother, and speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Let's stop there and um, we'll take a look at this the second passage after we get through this first one. And let's look to the Lord and ask him for his help. Heavenly Father, we, as we look into your word, we pray now and ask that you guide us into truth. We know that you've given us your Holy Spirit to accomplish this. We pray, dear Father, that you would um, speak from the pages of your word. We know that it is your word, and it is from your, um, from, it's your desire that we understand it and we learn and grow. And so, dear Father, we pray that we'd add these things to our lives, helping to encourage one another to love and to good works. We pray all these things in thy son's precious and most holy name. Amen. So, James talks about faith earlier in the book, about faith being a living faith. He says, show me um, faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my works, because a living faith produces good works. And some of the things, some of the things that he says, it's like you were reading the book of Proverbs, right? Very specific things. Verse 10, humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. Speak evil not of one another, brethren. Now, this is, a, this is something we could probably all 
we can all benefit from, right, in hearing. It's very easy to slip into what you could term as slandering a fellow brother or sister, right? It's, the Lord Jesus has redeemed us and called us into um, the body of Christ, which is you know this local expression of the church. He talks about the church being built up, and sometimes the things we can say don't really do that good at building one another up. And he says, why, do we want, why should we not slander one another? Why do we speak poorly about other people? Why do we backbite? Why do we speak evil of people in, in, in envious ways with spite and gossip? You know, why, why do those things happen? They shouldn't happen. And why is it a problem? He it says, he that speaks evil of his brother speaks evil, um, speaks e- uh, or, or sorry, he that speaketh evil of his brother, he judges his brother and speaks evil of the law. So, also uh, in in this idea is 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 some is judging people with judging their intents, right? Oh, I know that person. I know what they were thinking when they said that, or when they did that. I know what they're saying. I know I know what it is, and and we've we've cast judgment. And um, I can remember one time um, uh, with a dear brother, uh, I had shown up uh, at a at a meeting, and um, I got there early, and. Uh, I saw a brother, he was practicing and playing some guitar over in another room. And I walked on by, and I walked on by, and I took care of some business. And a little later, he came to me and said, hey, is there a problem? And I said, no, I don't think so. He's like, hey, when you came in, you didn't even say hello to me. And I was like, oh, no, I, I'm sorry, I saw you. And I intentionally walked by. I thought you were playing your guitar and enjoying some music. I said, I didn't want to disturb you. He said, so we're okay. And he had thought that I had slighted him uh, because um, I didn't say hello. And we cleared it up. It was all good. We had a great conversation. I said, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're good. I said, I apologize. I I certainly didn't mean that. I thought it would be best to leave you alone. And so sometimes, you know, those things happen, right? We're going to bump into each other. We're going to have problems like that. And then we shouldn't be judging one another's intentions. And so why in verse 11 is that a problem? It says that you're speaking evil of the law. So let's talk about that for a second. Earlier in James, I think it's James chapter 2, it says this, chapter 2 verse 7, if you fulfill, verse 8, chapter 2 verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. If we go back to Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was speaking with one of the experts of the law, right? And he gave him, let's, let, me, let me not quote that wrong. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Right? He's being challenged by the scribes, being challenged by this expert in the law in chapter 22 of Matthew. And he says, verse 36 of chapter 22, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so James, and earlier in the chapter as well, he's talking about hating our brother. And it's not just um, holding evil thoughts against a brother or sister, but it's actually speaking against them is speaking against the law. Speaking against the royal law, which was given is love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and your neighbor as yourself. And it says that if we do that, 
we are make, casting a judgment on the law, as if the law wasn't good enough, as if we are above the law and should not have to follow that law. And we know that in 1 Timothy, it says that the law is good, right? It sets out a moral standard, and we shouldn't be um, thinking that we are above the law. And so then it says, if we think we are above the law, we judge. It says, if we judge the law, we are not a doer, but a judge. So to do so, to go against and to speak evil of our brother or sister is like saying that that law doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm, I'm above the law. And to make ourselves the judge. And who, and who uh, is going to place themselves in that position where who is the actual lawgiver? Because the verse, next verse says that there is one lawgiver, and that is God who is able to save and to destroy. So are we putting ourselves in the place of God by placing ourselves above the law, judging others? Now, I don't want to get confused. If we go back to the um, book of Matthew, where it talks about, um, I think it's Matthew chapter 7, where it says, judge not lest you be judged. Very popular. Most people know that passage, and they're very quick to say it, right? It's like, who are you to judge? But then it says later, it says, before you judge, cast the beam out of your eye, or the the beam out of your eye before you go for the speck in your brother's eye. It's not that we're not supposed to judge, but we're supposed to be introspective first. Think about an example, like say in the Old Testament. If we were to go to the Old Testament and look at the life of somebody like Joseph. Joseph with his brothers, if he, when he was in the position of authority later, and they were coming to him for grain, Joseph had the ability to do something and take out vengeance on his brothers, didn't he? He had the ability at that point they had wronged him terribly. He had been put in prison, accused wrongly, um, and then finally exalted uh, to this position where now he was in a position where he could actually take out on his brothers if, if he wanted to be vengeful. And you remember the brothers later when um, uh, Joseph's father dies, they think that Joseph is going to take out his uh, vengeance on them because of what they did to him. You see that in the Genesis chapter 50. Well, Joseph actually says this. He he, he takes, he says something very similar. It says in verse 15 of Genesis 50, it says, When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said to us, Joseph will perhaps hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall he say unto Joseph, Forgive the trespasses of thy brethren. And so they so they go to brethren, or they go to Joseph and plead with him. And Joseph says this in verse 19. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Joseph, even though his brothers did him wrong, I think it's time to come in, Billy. The lights are telling. You're a prophet. But um, uh, Joseph had the ability to set his brothers straight for all that they did to him. But no, he said, he held back and said, No. Am I in the place of God? No, that's, God will handle that. God will take care of that, which he did. He taught the brothers a lesson. The, the brothers had some really difficult times between the time they sold Joseph into slavery to when they actually um, got into Egypt and found Joseph. And the Lord dealt with them. And Joseph saw that, and he understood that Joseph was not, he didn't even place, even Joseph, somebody who would, you would think would have the right to take, to, to take it out on his brothers, to do, to set things straight, to make things just. Joseph didn't, and he said, I'm not in the place of God. It's not my place to do that. So, the first thing is, James exhorts us not to 
slander one another, not to speak evil of one another. And so if we intentionally or deliberately go against the law, we treat it with contempt and are basically saying it's not worthy to be followed. So to be a lawbreaker is to say you're above it or not under it. Let's go to the next section, verse 13. Well, let me, let me say this real quick. I thought this was good. I, I wrote these down from somewhere else that I had read. Just summing up about how we handle our speech. And so, before engaging in unfair criticism of another fellow believer, we should ask ourselves three questions. One, will it help your brother or sister in Christ? This helps us judge our own motives before we speak. Number two, will it help yourself spiritually or what good does it do for you to say what you're about to say? And then number three, will it bring glory to God in what I'm saying? Will it help your brother or sister in Christ? Will it help you? And will it bring glory to God? And so perhaps just three things to think about before we, um, we as we mind our speech, watch what we say. You know, the Bible talks about our tongue, which can do so much damage. All right, let's look at the second part of chapter, the last part of chapter 4, verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there and buy and sell and get, grain, get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on, to, on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sometimes, not sometimes, probably a lot of the time, a lot of time we, I know my, for myself, you make plans not even giving a second thought to seeking the Lord's face. What happened to the, the nation of Israel when they entered the promised land? They had a great victory at Jericho, did they not? Right? They entered the promised land. God gave them specific instructions um, how to march around the city. And a stronghold of a city was taken without the loss of any of the Israelites. A great victory won by the Lord. And then they go from there, and what happens? They go to the city of Ai. They lose miserably. Thousands die. And Joshua is like dumbfounded. He's like, what happened? You know, I just came off this great victory and now such terrible defeat. How could this possibly happen? And very specific, if you go through the book of Joshua, you'll see that it says very specifically that they didn't inquire of the Lord, that they didn't inquire of the Lord because there was sin in the camp and it had to be dealt with. And so I think this section, this last chap, piece of chapter four is, this is a good example of what self-confidence and self-reliance looks like. And... Self-reliance, that, that's a very, it's very popular in our Western culture, isn't it? And it's like, I did it my way. I did, I did things, this, I did this thing, this is of my own doing. And it, if I did, I brought myself here. And there's a lot of glory to ourselves. So we shouldn't plan things without God or the future in mind. So that's the two things, right? God willing, and then we don't know what the future is like. It talks about our life being brief, like a vapor, and um, it, the fragility of our life. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We'll come back to James. A parable is given. 
And in chapter 12, the, the parable is, in, in my Bible, is titled, The Parable of the Rich Fool. Chapter 12, verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, a ground, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns. I will build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. How many times in that section is, is, there, is, the, is the two words together, I will, I will do this, I will do this, I will do that. Very easy to fall into that. And obviously this rich, this rich fool did not think, he, he had all these wonderful plans. And he did not think first, and he did not put God first, and putting the Lord first, and seeking the Lord. That's what James talks about. You know, some, I think most people in this room would probably appreciate, they probably appreciate some of the, a beautiful singer like Frank Sinatra, right? He's a great voice, incredible voice. But he also sang a song, you all, I'm sure you all know it, I Did It My Way, right? I, I think the words of that song are so telling. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a ballad, it's a beautiful ballad of, of someone who did it their way. And I think the words are so telling. Um, the words go like this, it says, And now the end is here, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I've traveled each every highway, and more, much more, I did it, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few. But then, again, too few to mention, I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exception. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the, along the byway, and more, much, much more, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and stood tall and did it my way. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, not the words that someone who kneels, not the words of someone who kneels, let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. You know, great singer. The song I think is a bit telling though, right? I mean, uh, when we're actually going to, everybody's going to kneel before, the, the, before God and, and, and acknowledge that he is Lord. And not someone who kneels. You know, it, I was I watched a, a brief video um, where he was singing the song in New York, in New York City, and before he introduced the song as the national anthem, it probably is to a certain extent. Unfortunately, that I did it my way. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Hopefully, that's what we're saying when we see our Savior. Versus, I did it my way. It's like railing your hand against God that in my own strength. If it was up to our strength, we know we wouldn't get there. So, there's a certain pride in that, right? It's like a proud song to sing something like that, that I did it my way. 
our own self, our own self-reliance, our own self-confidence. The verses, what James says, the way we should do it is if the Lord wills, we should do this or that. We already mentioned about Joshua and the fact that when the Israelites trusted and were praying and seeking God's faith, God gave them victory. And when they were not, they were doomed to failure, right? Proverbs 21.7 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. So that's another reason why we should be trusting and relying upon the Lord and not in ourselves. The example given in verse 14 is that of a vapor. Right? Two things about that. It's One, it's there for a short time and it vanishes away. So it speaks about the brevity of life. And I think it's not until as the years go on you start realizing and appreciating the shortness of life. And then the next one is about the idea of a vapor is how it's, it doesn't take much and it vanishes. And it's like the fragility of life too, right? Life's not you, 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 something to be to held on to, right? It's, it's when the time comes, you're gone. And the fragility of life becomes more real as more time has gone by for each one of us. We appreciate that more. And it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're 21 and when you're, you're, you're 25 years old to really appreciate the brevity and the fragility of your life. But he want, the, the writer, James, wants us to appreciate that, to think about that. What is your life? And you realize there's nothing you can do to determine when you're going to go or determine when you're not going to go. And also, it's, it, it, you've got to think about the future. How about Peter? Peter? Peter was very confident. He said, I will never... Never deny you, Lord. And yet, hours later, he's going and he's denying with cursings, right? So, is it just about, it's not just about using the phrase, God willing, right? It's, it's the fact that we're acknowledging, when we say God willing, we're acknowledging the fact that we don't know or control tomorrow, but we know one who does. And that we're relying on him, seeking that whatever we plan and do will be in the will of the Lord. And that we seek his will so that we accomplish that, right? and then he will give good success. This particular, it, verse 13, it's, it's not against planning, right? It's not that we shouldn't plan and we shouldn't think, but those plans should be put in the context of the will of God, right? And we should be seeking him for those plans. And so the person that, that this, this hypothetical person, verse 16, that's saying, hey, we're going to go to the city and make a profit, the, the, the thing that's missing there is seeking the Lord and seeking his will. Not so much that you you shouldn't plan at all. You can't just, you know, well, when I get there, I'll get there. No, we, we make plans and we seek the Lord's face regarding those plans. There is a certain urgency and a certain gospel message that we see in verse 14 too concerning our lives and the fact that our lives are fragile, that our, la- our lives are short when you think about it in light of eternity and that um, we should put those things which are important first. And unfortunately, it shouldn't be when we get to later in life or the end of our life when we're realizing that we've forgotten the most important things. Verse 16 says, But you rejoice, but now you rejoice in your boastings, and such all rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's a pretty high standard, verse 17, isn't it? And you can understand the context in which it's given here now. It's the fact that 
if we know we should be relying on the Lord Jesus, that we should be relying on Him, that we should be seeking His face and seeking His guidance and His will in our lives, and we fail to do it, we're falling short, right? In verse 17, that's what that's saying. So, a, co- a couple questions to ask ourselves. Maybe a couple questions to kind of mull over in our minds. Um, am I trusting in the Lord, or am I trusting in my own resources? And that's very easy to do, right? I got my 401k planned. I got some dirt for compensation. I got my, my retirement lined up, and, and that's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And, and then I start to fall into this area of self-reliance where I'm not thinking about what the Lord desires for my life and His will and seeking His will and using the, the things that I have, the things that He's given me, the resources I have. I'm just a steward of those things which He's given to me. And I'm thinking they're mine, right? Do I appreciate that? Am I trusting in the Lord or what I think as my own are my own resources? Do we, once we know what is right, are those are the things that we do? Um, considering the two things that have gone before, talking about how we should mind our speech and how we should consider the Lord's will in our lives, especially for concerning the future. And then another thing we should probably think about, or question we should ask ourselves, time is short and what is most important? That, that little focus gets off, get, gets off the right things all the time, doesn't it? I know it does for me. What's most important? Are we thinking about eternal things? Um, if you look back in the, I think it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew chapter 5, it talks about our, where our treasure is, right? Matthew, chap, Matthew chapter 6, it says, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hmm. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Where, where is our, where, so then where is our heart? Where is our treasure? Are we laying up treasures in heaven? Or are we laying up treasures here? Easily tell where your heart is, right? Do I appreciate, another question, do I appreciate the brevity, uh, the brevity of life? And appreciate the fact, acknowledge the fact that God is in control. Do we appreciate the brevity of life and the fact that God is in control? And acknowledge God is in control. Do I seek the Lord in making my future plans? I just finished, uh, yesterday I was doing my taxes, filing taxes for this coming year. And, um, you know, I had to find all those people, pull all the papers together, looking at what's in the deferred comp and things like that. And I was like, you know, I might not be around to spend this money. Not to say that I shouldn't do taxes, not to say that I shouldn't save for the future. But the question is, am I keeping, am I keeping in, in, in my, my, my mind, my thoughts in line with what the Lord has and desires for my life and what he wants to accomplish in my life? And my resources, are they in that, angled in that direction? Understanding that, you know, perhaps maybe, maybe seeking God's faith, maybe, maybe my life, certain things in my life need to change. It's very easy to get self-reliant. It's very easy to neglect the fact that we should be acknowledging the Lord's will in our life and putting Him first. And then lastly, if we have an opportunity to do good, it makes us responsible to do it, right? And those are the things which the Word of God says that, that, are, that, are, that are important and in ways we can provoke one another to love and to good works. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we think of the examples given to us in your in Scripture and through your Word, Lord. We think of them and ask that you'd bring them to our memory. We think of uh, men like Joseph, those who did had opportunity to uh, take revenge, but he actually did good. And dear Father, we thank you for the example given to us. We pray, dear Father, that you'd help us in our lives to have the Holy Spirit's reign over us such that our tongue is under control so that we say, speak those things which are edifying one to another. Heavenly Father, we also ask that you would help us to humble ourselves, to not place ourselves above the law. We know there is one lawgiver and uh, one who uh, loves us and, dear Father, cares for us and has given us uh, uh, your word so that we could um, live lives in ways that would be pleasing to thee and encouraging and helping to others. And so, dear Father, we ask that you would take your word, that you would bring it to our memory throughout the week. As we go and uh, walk amongst others, we pray, dear Father, that we'd be light, that uh, the, the city on a hill that cannot be hid. And, dear Father, we pray that we would exemplify the Lord Jesus in our lives. We ask that you, that you would part us with your blessing, that um, we pray for the believers here and ask that you would bless them also. We thank you for their testimony. We pray that they would be encouraged and built up. We pray these things in thy son's precious and most holy name.